Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping us in our time of song to look to you, how awesome it will be to be with you face to face one day. And truly, Lord, you will reign forever. God, we pray that as we continue worshiping, that, Lord, you would give us ears to hear your word. Lord, that you would help us to truly in thought and word and the way that we are thinking about the things that we hear and putting them into practice, that, Lord, you would sanctify us, O oh God. Father, we pray that you would be with this church in the new year, that you would give us great wisdom, that, Father, you would be with us elders as we seek to shepherd. Lord, that you would be with this congregation as they seek to make you known in this community. And Lord, that you would add to our number, that you would um, give us rest, that you would give us your wisdom and help us to listen and to act on it. Lord, we don't just pray for ourselves, but other churches. Lord, we lift up Union Baptist Church this morning here in the county that you would be with them. Lord, that you would make your gospel go forth from them in this community, that, Lord, you would cause it to take root, and, Lord, that it would bear fruit. Father, we lift up other sister churches in the Reformed Baptist Network. We lift up Arbor Church, Lord, and Pastor Steve Woodman this morning, that you would be with them, God, as they uh, continue the work that you have for them. God, that you would give them particular wisdom as they shepherd uh, many uh, college students, Lord, from Cedarville University that uh, come there and the influx of, of uh, just new attendees uh, that are of the college age. And so what a rich environment that is for discipleship and ministry. So give them wisdom, we pray. We thank you for them and thank you for Steve and his uh, just work as a pastor, but also in the network. And so we lift him to you. God, we realize that we have brothers and sisters that are uh, being persecuted uh, every day around the world. And so we focus on uh, the persecuted church in India uh, this morning, and we ask that you would give our brothers and sisters wisdom. We know that India is a diverse place from north to south, and the caste system of, of often leads to much of much strife on the social level before we even enter um, those that are um, Christians. And so I pray that you would protect our brothers and sisters that are caught in those um, frustrations of, of life and, and persecution of their own faith, that, Lord, you'd help them to stand firm uh, against radical Hinduism and even Islam in many places. And so we ask for your grace there. We pray that you would um, give the governing leaders of India wisdom in uh, a growing population of Christians that are seeking uh, the good of the land, and yet they're being persecuted. So I pray that you would bring these things to your, um, for your glory to bring them to uh, fruition, Lord, in the years ahead. Father, we pray uh, for the unreached people groups. It's a burden on our hearts that people wake up this morning have never heard of your gospel. And Lord, while we personally may not be called to go, we know that it is on the hearts of your church to see people come to know you, to hear of you, to even have a Bible in their language that they might understand who you are. 
And so we lift up the Berber people of Libya this morning in North Africa, that, Lord, you would bring missionaries to them, that, Lord, your gospel would be proclaimed to them, that the Bible would be translated into their language, that in our generation we might see believers established and a church established in those people groups. So we ask for your grace there. Give us wisdom how to be involved more on the mission field and not less. So help us, we pray. We pray uh, about the trouble in many places around the world that are no doubt on our minds with the war in Ukraine and other international struggles like in Burma or Myanmar. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give grace to those who are refugees. We don't forget the Afghan refugees that are still in many places due to uh, all that has happened there in the last few years. Father, we lift up the sick amongst us. We ask that you would show your grace and your mercy for those who have been very sick in recent days, that, Lord, you would heal them and bring them back to us. Father, uh, for those who continue to grieve, we uh, lift up Tucker Brown this morning and the loss of his daddy this week. God, would you... Would you be with that family? And would you work in Tucker's life, Lord, to draw him to yourself? And Lord, help them as they grieve um, Matt's death. God, um, help the family, Lord, as they also grieve and the many pressures that they all feel, that God, you would have grace there. Be with the others that are grieving and others that have experienced loss this year where it's still very fresh. So Lord, would you, would you help them? Lord, thank you for Quinn and Rose. We continue to pray for them, that you would bless these early days of their marriage. Lord, give them great joy um, here at the end of their honeymoon and bring them back to us, we pray. God, we thank you for them. And Lord, give them grace. Lord, we lift up Pastor Kaysen as he's finishing up and has, has finished up his module um, at, at Covenant Seminary. Um, as he uh, drives back tomorrow, would you give him grace um, in that travel? Give him travel mercies, Lord. God, we pray for Christ alone, and as they prepare to constitute in just a few weeks, uh, the charter members and uh, Tim's wisdom, Lord, as he leads that group, Lord, give us uh, wisdom and oversight, Lord, as we uh, seek to shepherd that group as well. We thank you for this group of souls, Lord. We thank you what you're doing in their lives and establishing a new work, Lord, in Wilkes County. Lord, we thank you that even though they're small, uh, Lord, you are working. You started with just a dozen men, and uh, you can do great things um, with small beginnings. And so we ask for your grace upon that group. We pray for your uh, grace and some of the things that are happening um, and wisdom for a place to meet in the days ahead. Thank you for Word of Grace Baptist Church and their kindness to us in sharing their building uh, in these early days. Um, Lord, bless them. Uh, be with Pastor Mark and Danny, Lord, as they um, shepherd that congregation. And thank you for their kindness to us, both as a gathering and as the Christ Alone group. So we ask for your help there. Finally, Lord, for our worship now, as we turn attention to your word, to the book of Genesis, would you um, just turn over the soil of our hearts that we might receive your word, that we might understand it, that we might hear the, it interpreted properly, that we might establish it in our hearts and Lord, would you bring fruit as only you can. And Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Give me great um, utterance, Lord, and give me 
um, the humility to know that I need to hear these things as well. In your name and for your glory and our good, amen. Do you stand with me as we read uh, Genesis chapter 6? Uh, again, picking up this uh, study in Genesis. Uh, let, it not, let, let us not grow weary in this process. Of course, we will be in Genesis for a while, but uh, what, what glorious uh, texts there are before us in Genesis. And so uh, I hope you're being encouraged. I hope that you're um, being able to think through these uh, things, maybe afresh. Maybe it's been uh, a time that you have not been through Genesis in a while, but um, I hope that you're being encouraged by this. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 11 and read through verse 17. These are the words of the living God. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. This is the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. For you parents out there, you know that correcting your children is a constant task. In fact, depending on their age and experience, that can be a harder task than at other times, can it? But I recall a time when correcting my own children, especially toddlers, that I find it interesting as their consciences are forming and as they are growing uh, to understand what it means to obey, that one of the greatest fears of a toddler is that they would be seen doing something wrong. And I won't embarrass which ch child it is of mine because I know that's a no-no, but I recall a time when one of our children was doing something wrong and I caught them and I saw them and their response was, not see me. In other words, they wanted to be invisible at that point. They didn't want to be known. They didn't want to be exposed because they knew in their conscience that what they were doing was wrong. There's no other reason that they would respond, not see me, if they were not guilty. And usually around our house, it involves food that's being snuck from the cupboard or cookies or what have you. So 
in our text this morning, as we look at this, we have where we've been already has been that Noah has been brought to the forefront in the narrative. We considered his character uh, last week. We considered his faith. We considered his walk with God. And we considered that he also was being used in his generation. And we made mention of his sons, which we will come back to. The text of the narrative brings us back to deal with Shem, Ham, and Japheth anyway. But the text now turns to what God is doing, that he is preparing a way of salvation for his people. And not just that, but we know because of verse eight that Noah has found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. So these two things are being contrasted by the Holy Spirit-inspired scripture here by Moses. And that is there's a black, dark backdrop that a holy God has been offended. And yet there's a redemptive work of God that he's showing favor to a man and his family. In fact, this is a story of the scriptures. This is the scarlet thread of redemption that we see throughout the scriptures. We made the evidence last week that Noah was a faithful man, a blameless man, but this is the very character of God working in Noah. We went to Hebrews 11, for instance, and focused in on that, that it's Noah's faith, that by faith he is made righteous. And really by faith, it says that he condemned that generation and he obeyed God by building an ark, which was ultimately his salvation. Not the ark itself, but the fact that God was saving him by that means. So as we look at this text this morning, four simple points. First of all, we're going to see in verses 11 and 12 that God sees. God sees. Secondly, in verse 13 and 14, we see that God says in verse 13 and 14. Thirdly, we're going to see that ultimately God is going to save or he is saving. It's a process here because he's calling Noah to build an ark by which he will save them. But notice that these thoughts of his plan for salvation happened in those early days, that he announced it and Noah believed him and he didn't delay. He built the ark, as we'll see in later chapters, over the course of a hundred years. You think your life is long. Consider that. And then lastly, fourthly, God sentences in the sense of bringing judgment. God sentences in verse 17, that there is a point that God, uh, his patience ends and his judgment begins. And so we'll discuss that. So let's consider our first point first. God sees. Well, what is it that he is seeing? Look at our text now here in verse 11. The, just by way of observation, the word earth here, notice, is used eight times in these seven verses that we're looking at this morning. The earth was corrupt. And I find that interesting because this shows the, uh, the, the parameters of the fall, if you will. That we know that the fall of man didn't just affect man. We know from Romans, that the creation groans under that weight. You think about that for a moment, that human rebellion against God has had an effect on the earth, let alone the animal kingdom. Pastor Kaysen walked us through those passages, revealing that to us, that 
that the corruption spread and it's under this groaning. We even see that in times past, the Lord allowed the earth to respond to human sin. Consider the times that in, in ancient Israel that God opened up the ground to swallow disobedient people. That was the method that he used to swallow them. Like the ground is responding. And so why we can give geological answers for what's going on on the earth and perhaps look at it through a, a lens of science, the truth of God's word is that the earth is groaning. And notice that it's corrupt, but not based on somebody's definition, not based on Moses' definition, but look here that it's in God's sight. In other words, in these early verses, the only insight we need to these is to realize that it's God's sight that matters. He is a holy God that's been offended and the earth is cursed and there is the following forth of violence we see here. The earth was filled with violence. It's interesting, the translation here of that Hebrew word, that you actually know this, and this will help us. But the, the word violence here in Hebrew is Hamas. Does that ring any bells? Is there any reason that that group is actually known for violence? It simply means violence can also be translated wrong or cruelty or injustice. And so it begs the question, wrong, cruelty, or injustice to whom? The world of Noah's day could say, God, why did you give us this lot? Why is this earth filled with violence? And yet it's the flip side that God is saying, you are suffering the very fruit of your own ways. And this has gone worldwide at this point. Now, many scholars disagree about how many people were on the earth at that time. I think it doesn't really matter, but I think it's, it's important to consider that the population had grown, possibly to as many as one billion at that time. And, you know, if you want to put a date on this, this is somewhere around 2400 B.C. And the only reason we, we say those things and why that's important is to see that this people, it was not just a, a small tribe of people. The, the earth was diverse in those days. And yet great violence had spread. And so God sees. And look at verse 12. It goes further, and he mentions this again. And God saw. He saw. This word can be translated again, perceived or observed or that he's gazing upon. And notice who, what he's seeing. He's seeing the earth, Eretz. The earth is speaking of the, the whole here, that he's looking upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. Notice that it's almost repetition from verse 11 to verse 12 here, that it was filled with violence and it's corrupt. So notice the outline there. God sees, he's looking at the earth, it's filled with violence, it's corrupt. In other words, it's going to ruin, it's going to decay, this is his creation. And then he adds at the end of verse 12, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Man and beast, corrupting their way. In other words, their course of life has been altered from what 
he originally planned, his original will, his desire for his creatures, let alone mankind. And so this should be humbling to us here, right here in verse 11 and 12, to remind us that a holy God has been offended and, and I know that we don't like to think about that. It's fearful. It was fearful for the people of Noah's day to think about the impending judgment of God. The issue is they weren't thinking about it. But Noah sure was listening. And so one of the most amazing facts that we have before us here is that God sees. God sees. And this shouldn't be just in the negative sense. Yes, there's, it's, it's true that when you are sinning, even when you're hiding it, God sees it. And that shouldn't be a fearful thing. It should be an acknowledgement that God knows where you're at. He knows where you failed. He knows your sin, and that will come back to that, that it's a fearful thing if we're not turning to him in faith and repentance, but it's a, it's a comforting thing too, that he sees. Why can we say that it's comforting? Well, we know that God found, or that Noah found favor with God. God sees Noah. So he's, the other scriptures that speak to this, that he's keeping watch on the evil and the good, if you will. He knows. So beloved, this is instructive to us that God knows, he sees, he's gazing upon our, on, on, on us. He knows us. He knows us well. He knows where we fail. He knows where the, the evil things that we're fighting against and that we feel against our souls in our own culture, in our own generation. He knows, he sees He sees the enemy battering against your soul. He sees those that are tempting you towards evil. He sees the wickedness in the land. He sees the injustice around you. He is not turning a blind ear to it. He is not um, ignoring it. We do know his patience is long. And we see that displayed here in this Genesis narrative that when the time he announces that he's going to flood the earth, he waits a hundred years to do so. Oh, that we would learn from his patience and from his long suffering. Oh, that us parents would learn how to, to, to uh, engage our children over the long haul, not just the short moments of correction. Oh, that us pastors would learn how to shepherd in this way with long suffering and patience how us husbands ought to learn to shepherd our families and to love our wives with this kind of patience and the end game in sight. You moms in the endurance that you need to not just disciple your children and educate them, but to discipline them. God sees, God knows, but God also shows favor. And so moving to our second point here in verse 13, God just doesn't see, he also says. Look at verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. This is 
God is sovereign. God, this is, this is our Father's world. He makes these decrees. He is the one enthroned in heaven. We are the creation. He is the creator, and he decides what he's going to do. And he lays it down here, and he says to him his plan that I have determined to make an end of all flesh. God's given his reasoning earlier in the chapter. We see that very clearly, that man had corrupted their way. There is an overall rebellion against the creator, and God is bringing it to an end. Man and beast. Notice this is all flesh there. Again, do you realize that our own sin reverberates not just through the human race, but to the whole creation? Now, we don't have time to get into this today. We, by God's grace, will return to this at some point. But the new creation, this is why he's creating a new heavens and a new earth. Why? They've been tainted by sin. And you say, well, what about heaven? Well, remember that Satan and the demons rebelled against God. There, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where our own king will be the only light we need. And what a glorious truth that is to consider. But here in our text, we have the stark reality that man has completely rebelled and God is bringing an end to that rebellion. Not completely, because if left on his own, Noah and his own family would be swallowed up. But it also communicates God's redeeming love, which we will look at in a few moments. So he says he's going to make an end of all flesh. Then here at the end of verse 13, for the earth, again, the, the word earth is used, is filled with violence, notice, through them. So it's acknowledging again, verse 11, that the earth is filled with violence, Hamas. It's filled with violence. And notice it's happening who? Through whom? Through them. Directly in the text, that means the flesh. Those who dwell upon the earth are the ones who are propagating this violence. So we see this ugliness here. And so God is saying he's going to destroy it. So look, he repeats himself again at the end of verse 13. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. When God says he's going to do something, you need to listen. When he says that he's bringing judgment, especially, we ought to listen. But God is in relationship, as we saw in verse 9 and 10 last week, that, that Noah is in relationship with him. He walks with God. And therefore, in the context of relationship, he's making his covenant, which we'll look at next week, with Noah. His covenant is a relational covenant. And he's saying, I'm, sh I'm showing you favor, Noah, and I want to talk to you about something, and this is what I'm doing. I will destroy all things. And I don't know what it might have been like for Noah to hear those things, because the context of verse 9 and 10, we know that he found favor with God, but it's not communicated till here at the end of chapter 6. But praise God, he continues to talk. So not only does God see, not only does 
does God say what he's going to do? But now here our third point in verse 14, God will save or God saves. And how do we know that? Because we see the preparation here. Look at verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you are to make it. So notice, notice that. He's, he's telling them to actually do something. He's to make it. Again, faith and obedience are two sides of the same coin. If we truly believe God, then we'll obey him, right? If, we, if we're following after him, we'll listen to his words. As Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So he says, make, him, make yourself an ark, and then notice he gives them the instructions on how to do it. He says, this is how you're to make it. Length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. And why is this important? Well, these are details. He says, and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. So, First point, minor or uh, a minority point here under um, God's save here, is that God always saves in His way. He saves us His way in His time. There's there's not another way of salvation here. Noah Noah's not in discussion with Him about, hey God, why don't we do it this way? You know, an ark is kind of big; it's going to take a while. Why don't you make me a rocket ship and we'll go out into outer orbit and. Uh, you know, we'll just call it the, the Musk rocket, and then and then you'll just destroy the earth, and then you bring us back down. God could have done that, couldn't he? But God saves not just, the, he's announcing salvation, but God saves in his way. But secondly, it's also with his details. He was to follow it to the T. He's to build it 300 cubits, 50 cubits, 30 cubits wide, or heights to make a, a roof, to fill it with pitch. And of course, there's a, a, probably a, a ton more detail that um, Noah went through. But, but notice here, it's God's way and God's timing. It's also God's way of salvation. And so we need to realize that there's several things here. First of all, we, we don't want to ignore the fact that what God is doing, and we'll get to this later um, here in chapter six, but he is making an ark with plenty of room of those animals and humans that he's going to save. And that should speak very highly to us that there's room for those to be saved. There's room. If you consider for a moment the measurements that John gives of the new Jerusalem, it's amazing. If, even if we took them literally, which maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, we, we're not looking at Revelation right now. But the, the new Jerusalem is in a cube, almost 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. And you mathematicians can do the math of how much square footage that is. The awesome fact of these details is that there's room. God made a way of salvation and there's room. And so look at his grace here. He's given it in detail. He is showing them, this is how I'm going to save. These are the details in which I'm going to do it. And then lastly, here at the end of verse 16, he says, put an entry point in it. 
He puts this, put it in the side of it. We don't need to go to the rest of the narrative there, but we know when the rain start falling, who is it that closes that entry point? God does. I think you see this because the New Testament writers say the same thing. The church, there's no other way of salvation except the way that God makes. And according to the scriptures, there is no other way to the Father except through the Son. Whereas Jesus himself said, I am the door. He is the entry point. There is no other way. There's no way through morality. There is no way through good works. There is no good way through another religion. There is no other way. This is why Jesus has that exclusive claim that says, no one can come to the Father except through me. He is the entry point. But the glory for us and for the known world that we're preaching to, there's still room. Get in. Why there's time before our great and holy God shuts the door and said, it is finished, it's over, the chances are closed. I'm coming back for my church and judgment is raining down, not with flood of water this time, but in fire. For our God is a holy God. He is a holy God that must judge sin. And he did this through the cross of his own son. And you want to understand judgment, but you also want to understand his love. You look to the cross and you see him bloodied on your behalf. The door is open. He wants to save. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How foolish of us to hang on to our sin, but to forsake it and run with full assurance of faith through the door that is wide open and inviting for us to come into. And so the details of salvation are his. There is no other way. You must come his way, and his way is faith and repentance. It was the same for Noah as it is for us. God sees God says, God has made a way of salvation. And finally, the hard part here is that God sentences. End of, or starting in verse 17. For behold, notice again, this is the third time in this passage, I will. When God says he will do something, he will do it. Sure, it didn't happen for 100 years. People mock today. Where is this Jesus that you all worship? He's been gone for 2,000 years. Y'all are crazy. Hanging on to your religion. What a bunch of doofuses. What are y'all doing? What are, we, what are you thinking? That you would hang on to such ancient religion. An old book. Y'all have dusted off. You keep translating, taking it around the world. You guys are fools. We know better than this. We can explain all these miracles in the Bible. Science has just proven this. You talk about a young earth and a world flood. We would see evidences of this world flood if it really happened in 24 BC. You see the mockery. But God says, I will bring a flood of waters. And he said this in Noah's day. He's saying it in ours. I'll bring a flood of waters upon the earth. Notice the earth again is under judgment to destroy again, what? All flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. 
everything that is on the earth shall die. It's a sentence. God is bringing judgment. God has decided. And notice over the hundred years after he says this, he didn't change his mind. God is not like man to be fickle in that way. He's accomplishing his decree with authority, with sovereignty, but also with redeeming love, as we see in this passage. So it's this authoritative decision. I don't know if any of you remember, it's almost been 20 years. The earthquake that happened in Southeast Asia, I believe it was in 2001 or 2002, shortly after 9-11, that's all I remember is because it seemed like there was these great acts of judgment that were, were disheartening. Um, but, but we saw an earthquake that uh, produced tsunamis in Southeast Asia. And after all the data was entered, within a period of less than four hours, 100,000 people perished. We don't talk about that anymore. I don't even know if anybody thinks about it. But it's, it's, it's emblazoned on my mind these many years later. And the reason it's emblazoned on my mind mainly, it's from maybe the, the news reports that I was watching, but I, I'll never forget Time Magazine did a, a kind of a controversial front page after this, and it was literally bodies floating in the water. And I remember thinking, oh God, how, how many of those did you just swallow up into eternity? There's no doubt many of them may have been believers. No doubt many of them could have been unbelievers. That's not the issue. The issue is God does what he pleases. And it came without warning. It came quickly and it was catastrophic. A hundred thousand souls off the planet. And it's, it's just, it's humbling to us because we might ask questions like, why me? If you remember when the disciples were questioning the Savior about this and the Tower of Siloam had fallen and, and killed others and, and one of the disciples says, Lord, why did this happen? Was it their sin? Along those lines, I'm paraphrasing, of course, and Jesus says, you also repent. In other words, we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We don't know what our lives are. We don't know, we know our days are numbered, but the issue is that for Noah and his day and for our day, today is the day of salvation. And for the Christian that even when catastrophe hits and a wave were to swallow us, we have hope that God is our hope. We know that he is our entry point. And so what happens to us, whether we live or die, as Paul says, we are the Lord's. But this is a word of warning to those who think they have time. And God clearly says, no more. And yeah, in hindsight, we can say, well, really they have a hundred years. But we have no evidence of repentant hearts. We do know that Noah condemned the world or his generation at that time. It implies that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That it implies that he was having these conversations. 
my question to you today, beloved, is we don't know what this new year holds, but be comforted that he sees. And maybe that should bring fear to you that are wrestling in sin, unrepentant sin, that God calls us to repentance. But he also says, he's telling you, how kind is he that he's telling you of the coming judgment? He saves. He's the entry point. He is the only path to the Almighty. He is willing to extend his grace and forgiveness that he communicated at the cross because sin demands judgment. And I know I've taught this before. We have preached this many times, but this is what we mean that Christ died for the ungodly. It's a substitution. He took your sin and he took it upon himself. And so any kind of false understanding of that, he's not asking us to clean ourselves up. He's not asking us to prove by our own obedience that we're worthy of salvation. No, he's saying you come at the entry point, which is by faith, and God is the one that applies that to you. But we also know that God sentences. It's interesting that Jesus spoke this same truth in Matthew 24 in closing here when he said this before he went to the cross talking about the latter days and even the the things that were to come uh, upon Jerusalem and so forth. He says this in Matthew 24, verse 36 and following. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. So while Noah knows that he has time to to build the ark in in this sense, um, Jesus is using this to, to describe this very thing. He says, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son of man, but the father only about his his coming. For as were of the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And so will the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field, and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Church, what good words for us, sobering words, that we who are in Christ ought to be severely comforted, but also challenged. That there is a world out here because we are still here and our Lord has not returned. That there is a community, there is a world that needs Christ. And we are the only ones that hold these very truths. Why? Because God has spoken them to us. God has said. He says he sees, but he also calls us to go 
and call them to repentance and faith. But he also calls us. He calls us to walk more closely with him, to listen to him, to put our trust in him in new ways that he is the one that is leading us and shepherding us by his grace. Church, where, where does this land on your heart this morning? That this door will one day be closed? What is your heart like concerning those who don't know Christ? When was the last time you shed tears over those who a similar flood will be taking over in just a matter of time? In what ways have you neglected to speak up when God has told you to speak? In what ways are we called to consider one another and, and build one another up and equip one another for love and good works in the context of a dark background such as this that we live? One of the things that I've realized in these days, even from the pandemic on in the last two years, is that the unity of the church has been challenged. And we've been challenged to stand on different things other than his word. And God is calling us back to that, a, a, a reminder that the scriptures are sufficient for any challenge that we'll possibly face, but we're to do it together to the glory of God and to the future. And so consider in what ways that God would have you to respond in faith to him in ways that he is calling you to. There's no doubt there was times of discouragement in those hundred years that Noah was building the ark. There's no doubt there was times where he was confused. And while the scriptures don't give us insight to those things, either way, it's important for us to know that there is a journey of faith. We are called to look to him continually, to yield to him by his spirit, to ask him for help in those days that we are having a hard time picking up the hammer and continuing to build the ark by faith. And yet while we are not called physically to build an ark, we are called to consider Christ, to preach Christ, to dwell upon Christ as Noah, to walk with Christ. That on that day when he calls us home, we walk in by faith and our faith will be sight. Church, consider God's word. Consider what he's saying here and rejoice that you have found favor with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And for one who does not know Christ, I plead in a long line of preachers from Noah's day till now, repent while there is still hope and not repentance in a way that just is somehow sorry that you're caught and that God sees, but a sorrow that leads to repentance. And you have brothers and sisters here as you turn to him in faith and repentance that will come alongside you because we've been there and we know what it's like to acknowledge sin and to be in a culture where maybe sometimes we feel like we're beaten down by it rather than acknowledging it in a, a truth way. But repentance means that we turn 180 degrees. We are turning from our sin and we're looking to Christ. We are agreeing with God that he is right and we are wrong. And by faith, we're entering into salvation because God is the one that is at work.
And so I beg you, if you don't know Christ, it is not too late. Two o'clock today might be too late for you, but it's not too late now. And that proves that he loves you. It proves that he's patient with you. It proves that he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you. Such a passage like this at, at first could be a downer for us to see the dark clouds of judgment forming. But God, when we realize how wonderful you are, how gracious you are, we, we see the darkness of our own sin. We see how it offends you. Oh God, we are sorry. God, we tremble because we know that this same judgment is coming upon those who will not repent. We thank you for seeing us. Let us not be like a child and say, not see me, not see me. As Peter said, Lord, when you did that miracle on the Sea of Galilee. He said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And how gracious you are that you didn't depart from him and do what he thought was necessary, but you drew near him and you saved him and you restored him and you used him mightily to bring glory to your name. But Lord, you don't just see us, you speak to us. And Lord, you've done that this morning through your word. But you don't just say Lord, you save. You do what you say you're going to do. And when you say you're going to save us, Lord, you do. And we find you faithful on the other end of obedience, the other end of faith. And lastly, Lord, we know that you are bringing a sentence on this world. And God, help us to not be too comfortable in this world as believers that our eternal salvation is sealed and we take great comfort in that. But we're not called to be saved and just to to, to sit and wait for the day that we get in the ark. Lord, we're called to work. We're called to make attention to the very instrument of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. The very door that we're to examine and to exalt. Oh God, we need you. God, through our preaching, would we faithfully put seeds in the ground and would you bring them to fruit? Lord, would you produce a fruit to this congregation that will reverberate for generations because of the faith of your people? God, have mercy on us. Help us to trust you and to love you, to exult in you, for you are worthy. And we know that you're doing this for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.